This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. So we'll get more into this prospect ranking. Again, the Fangraphs top five is Woodhouse, Cavalli, Vaccaro, and Henry. You didn't hear Elijah Green's name. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But I want to welcome Teddy Cahill onto the show. Teddy does an awesome job covering college baseball for Baseball America. And with the Super Regionals taking place this weekend here on Bustin' and Loose Baseball, we wanted to talk to one of my favorite college experts on some of the best players in the country who are going to be taking part in these Super Regionals. So, Teddy, I got to tell you, we got an eye on the Nationals here on Bustin' and Loose Baseball, and they pick second. And so the big debate is, are the Pirates going to take Dylan Cruz 1-1 or Paul Skeens possibly first overall? And do the Nats just pounce on whoever's left of those two guys, or could Wyatt Lankford from Florida work his way into the conversation? So before we really dive into the matchups and some of the college baseball this weekend, what's your thought on that? So for me, if I'm the Pirates, I probably would be very interested in taking Paul Skeens. The I don't think they're going to do that, though. I think Dylan Cruz seems more like their kind of pick. Um, and so then if that is the way it goes down, that you're looking at Cruz off the board, if I was the Nationals, I'd be very happy to take Skeens. I would investigate Laneford, though, uh, you know, see what it would take to sign him. Because, like, Cruz is really, really good, but Wyatt Laneford is, is almost as good. Uh, and you can probably find some people that even prefer him. So, like, I, I think that Wyatt Laneford has been lost a little bit in some of this because he doesn't play for LSU, and it's a lot easier to talk about those two as a unit. Uh, and in some respects, that's unfair to Laneford. In some respects, like Cruz and Skeens just are better. Uh, so personally, I really like Paul Skeens. I'd be thrilled to have him. If he was on the board, I would pounce. But I do think that any team that's looking at that scenario does need to to fully evaluate Laneford because he really is a, a very talented player as well. And if you want a bat, he's a great option. Well, and we've talked about this plenty off the air do you have any concerns with taking a guy like Skeens and some of the injury concerns? We've seen it with Cavalli now. You think of a guy that got drafted last year and Kumar Rocker. He's really getting to develop and then has to have Tommy John surgery. Do you take that into consideration when taking the second pick? Do you just take Skeens because he's that good of a prospect? Or do you stick and maybe try to go with Langford there just because of the less injury concerns with a position player? Yeah, so I think that is a part of the appeal of Cruz and Laneford is that they're not pitchers and that, you know, pitchers have this inherent problem. You know, uh, right now there are plenty of guys, you know, you mentioned some of the the, the prospects, but obviously, you know, Jacob deGrom just goes down. You know, and the, the injury risk with pitching is real, uh, but you still need them. And if Skeens is the best pitcher available in the draft in the last decade, like, I think I would be happy to jump on that. But everybody has a different, uh, you know, feeling about what you do with the pitching issue right now and, and how you evaluate risk and all the rest of it. So, like, I don't think I could be too concerned about that just because you need the pitching. But I certainly understand the people that do uh, prefer the, the bats just because of the, the injury risks. 
Teddy Cahill of Baseball America. I, I don't want to say I've sworn off pitching at the top of the draft, but I am one of those guys where if I ran a front office, if you looked at my trend, it would be bat, 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 arm, bat, 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 bat right? I mean, I, I would always almost at the top of the draft, and, and every pick and every year is different, but I would almost prefer bat exclusively because of the risks. But Paul Skeens is different, right? I mean, this is not normal. Nothing about this guy is normal. You know, here in D.C., the Nats drafted Strasburg back in 2009-1-1. This is far and away the best pitching prospect since then. I want to get your thoughts, Teddy, on, on juxtaposing the two, because I actually think Skeens, being in the SEC, has had a better year than Strasburg had at San Diego State. And I would actually say he's a better prospect at 6'6", and, and just with what he's shown, Curious about that. But for our listeners who, who aren't familiar, 11-2 uh, and two with a 1.90 ERA in 16 starts, 99 innings, just 61 hits, and 179 strikeouts. He's basically striking out two batters for every hit he allows, let alone innings he pitches in. It will average against 171. I mean, we, we just haven't seen college arms like this other than maybe Strauss and Pryor in the last, what, 30 years? Yeah, I mean, everyone is is laying him up against Strasburg, and uh, I think that's because, you know, that's as far back as people are willing to reach, but you can go back farther, for sure. Like, you can go back to Pryor. Because he's at LSU, there's an easy comparison to Ben McDonald uh, for people that are in the area that are old enough to have remembered him uh, as Orioles pitcher. I personally am not, but, uh, you know, I, I know that, uh, that, that, I mean, those are the kind of guys we're talking about with, with Skeens. He's a huge guy. Like you said, he's 6'6", and he's, like, completely built. And he throws 100 miles an hour plus. Um, you know, the slider feels like it's unfair. He really likes his changeup. His changeup has come a long way uh, over this year. He, uh, I mean, he throws with really good control and command. Like, it, it's everything is there that you would want. And then the makeup is incredible. Um, you know, some of that is the fact that he spent two years at Air Force Academy. And if you talk to him, he like really wishes he was still there. Uh, he just also wanted to go play professional baseball and the, the requirements that, you know, uh, that we ask of the, the people that, that we send to the academies are too great to, to also pursue being an MLB player, basically. So that's why he had to transfer. But uh, it, it really is an, an incredible overall package. And um, you know, I don't, how you compare him to Strasburg or Pryor or whoever else, like, I mean, you're, you, you really have to start splitting hairs and everything, but I think it's fair to say that he's a better prospect. Like, I, I don't think that's outrageous at all. Can I jump in real quick, Toby? I just want to know other than health, what are the concerns or weaknesses? Like, is there anything where you look at deep into the analytics and like the hit rate on the fastball or something? Is there something that's not being talked about? other than just, oh, my God, this guy's a can't-miss pitcher? You know, I don't really think there is a, uh, a significant concern like that. I, I, I think that, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at, at, at his stuff as being uh, spectacular. He's got the, the body. He's, he's got the, uh, you know, the analytics. If you, if you get into how the pitches are shaped and stuff, like people, in, people that look at that closely uh, like that as well. So, no, I, I don't think there is a, uh, a significant uh, uh, risk factor or, or, or negative on the scouting report. And I think it's pretty obvious who the top three are here. We talked about Paul Skeens plenty here. If the Pirates were to go with Skeens at number one, 
for our listeners, could you compare and contrast what Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford can bring to the Nats if they were to have to decide between one of those two? So I think the biggest difference between the two of them is that, well, I guess there are two big differences. One is that Cruz has a much longer track record as being a high-level player. Uh, Dylan Cruz has always been one of the best players in his age group. Uh, He, I guess, had a little bit of a downturn going into his senior year, and that's part of the reason why he's uh, at school now uh, and didn't get drafted in 2020, but it was also the 2020 draft, and he didn't have a senior year of high school uh, to correct or, or, you know, give scouts and any sort of like positive thing going into the draft other than what they'd saw the previous summer. Laneford uh, was a relative unknown in high school, did not play hardly at all at Florida as a freshman and then broke out last year. So uh, if you like track record, Cruz has that advantage. The other big advantage Cruz has is that you can feel a lot better about putting him in center field. Laneford doesn't play center field now. And if you talk to people at Florida and you can find scouts that will agree with this, that say like, he's good enough to do it. Like Florida just has like an 80 runner in center field. And to that, I say, well, so will most major league teams. They'll have somebody that's a better defender than him. So some people are not necessarily totally sold on Cruz as a center fielder. uh, But Laneford to me is definitely much more of a corner guy. Uh, Cruz incredible barrel control uh i mean that that's really the thing that stands out with him is the uh the the bat speed the barrel control the plate discipline laneford maybe a little more uh power that that he can access uh but still you know good at the the other parts of the the hitting ability uh spectrum so i i think they're both really good prospects i understand the people that like laneford because of maybe the more power and more impact offensively uh, for me, I, I think that Cruz being the better athlete is the the separator for me. Better athlete? Does he run better? I mean, I, I know you're saying center field versus a corner, so I'd imagine that the actual run tool grades out better. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that is uh, that that's correct, and uh, it's not massively better, but he's a. I, I think you can put a plus run on him, um, but you know, Laneford is is not quite that kind of runner. Just to get into the numbers on Dylan Cruz. So this year he hit 432, 61 games, about 220 at bats. So well over a third of what would be a big league season. 17 home runs in the SEC. And remember, this is not some random conference, right? Over 60 driven in and in 61 games, more than an RBI per game. His on base 57%. His slug was 735. I mean, just an astounding season. So when you start looking at an OPS here uh, for him, on base plus slugging, you know, we're up over 1,300 for Dylan Cruz. So if if the Nats were to take him to, uh, if you could forecast out, I don't know if there's a comp you've heard in terms of a big leaguer, um, but like what type of player? Does he stay in center? Is he a 20 homer bat or a 25 homer, 30 homer guy? Like, uh, is it is it hit tool where he's hitting 300 with 18 to 22 homers? Like, what do you see for him? Yeah, I think it's the the hit tool that you're uh, you're really looking for there. Uh, I mean, he has the power also with the big league ball right now, anybody can, uh, can develop more power, but I I think you're really looking at a guy that is going to, uh, uh, you know, hit for a pretty high average control. The barrel has the ability to run the ball out of the park. And for me, I think he stays in center field, but again, there, there is something of that, that has been an open question to an extent, but I, I think that he has the route running ability and the speed to, uh, to stay in center field. 
Well, and an interesting part about this when you were breaking down the two of them is the Nationals really lack power right now. And so maybe Cruz is the safer guy, but would you consider going Langford at two when they probably have some guys that can play center field already in the system with Hassel and Wood and maybe Elijah Green down the road? Would you consider going Langford just for that increase in power and not necessarily worry as much about him not playing center field in the future? I don't think I'd be too concerned about that. Um, I think that at that point you just have like, no matter what you do here, if you were picking between these two outfielders, uh, the outfield of the future would be really athletic and you get power from any of those guys. I feel like. Um, So I, I wouldn't concern myself with that too much, but that doesn't mean that somebody else might not do that differently though. Wyatt Langford, who's the Florida outfielder, who's also playing in the Super Regionals this year in 56 games, a 13-10 OPS, a 387 average, 18 home runs, a couple more than Cruz. Uh, his slug is 800 higher than Cruz's. His on base is only 5'11", though, so not, not quite uh, what Dylan Cruz's is. He actually stole two more bases, interestingly, 8-for-9 uh, as opposed to Cruz, who was 6-for-6 six six on the base pads. So same kind of question as far as Langford. Uh, ultimately as a big leaguer, you, you say a corner power hitter, is that 30 home runs perhaps in a corner, something like that? I think that's plausible. I mean, he hit 26 last year uh, in a Florida schedule. Uh, that's at the time it was, it was, it tied a program record uh, that's since been broken, but uh, that program record, you know, I mean, you've got Pete Alonzo, you've got uh, you know some big time power hitters that have come through there and, and Langford is right there with them. So yeah. I think that you're looking at, at a, a good power hitter. I think he can also still hit for average. Um, you know, I, I think you're looking at kind of the quintessential corner outfield profile with him. And with Super Regionals coming up, who are some other guys? Obviously, we've covered the top three. Who are some of the other guys that are in Super Regionals that you want to keep a close eye on this weekend? Well, I think one of the the big ones to watch is uh, Rhett Louder at Wake Forest. Uh, he's their ace, and he looks almost exactly like Mike Clevenger. Uh, he's got the hair. The delivery looks really similar. He's a guy that, that probably goes in the top 10. Um, you know, Chase Dollander at Tennessee uh, came into the the year like you were coming into the season. It was, is Chase Dollander or Paul Skeens the best pitcher in this draft class? And uh, Skeens has taken off and Dollander uh, has kind of backed up a little bit after being SEC pitcher of the year a season ago, but he'll still be a first round pick somewhere in the top half, maybe in the top 10, maybe falls out of the top 10. We'll see. But uh, those two guys, Louder and Dolander, are the, the other pitchers definitely to watch. And then uh, Kyle Teal at UVA, uh, very exciting prospect as a catcher, really great bat. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of a local angle here. So uh, I, I, would, I would keep an eye on him this weekend in Charlottesville. I want to circle back to Teal in a moment because I, I think he's now going to go in the top 10 almost certainly. I mean, in a year where, and you can speak to this better than I can, there's no college catching. I think uh, your guys, when you did your ranking, you had Teal up high, and, and I don't think there was another catcher in the next several dozen picks. Maybe the kid from Davidson it would be next if, if memory serves. But, I mean, Kyle Teal's kind of in a class of his own there. But comparing Louder to Dollander as top 10 type guys, they seem like they're the antithesis of each other a little bit in this regard. If you could comment on this. So Dollander, to me, the performance has not been there. Like it's been disappointing and inconsistent. And he seems to have one inning in every start where he gives up three or four runs or something. And, and he, you know, he just isn't missing bats the way that you would think he should. But the, the stuff's amazing. Like you look at the stuff or you're talking about kind of pitch shapes and, and being in a lab. Like it, it, you rave about the stuff. 
Whereas I watch uh, Rhett Louder from Wake, and I think he's a little short on, you know, top five, top ten stuff for me. But the performance is incredible. Like, no one hits him. He doesn't give up runs. He's been dominant in college ball. He's been the best pitcher uh, in the ACC the last couple of years. I'm just curious if you would agree with that take at all. I, I think that's fair. And, you know, I, I've seen Dollander twice this year now. I was at his start uh, this last weekend against Clemson, and he got outpitched by Caden Grice, who is a guy that's going to go eh, like somewhere in the top three rounds. He's a little bit hard to get a handle on because he's a true two way player at Clemson. And what's he going to do in pro ball? But, um, you know, Dollander absolutely got outpitched by, by a guy with less stuff. And that just keeps happening this year, basically. And, uh, you know, I know that teams that, that look at the, the analytics and, and really get into the pitch shapes and everything, uh, that's like, frankly, a little more advanced than what I, uh, what I, what I ever do. Uh, they love that. And I get it. And you saw him last year have incredible success, but he hasn't had it this year, whether that's a control issue, whether something's going on mechanically, I don't know, but they haven't been able to fix it at Tennessee. And, you know, meanwhile, louder, uh, like you said, ACC pitcher of the year, the last two seasons, the fastball, it was more of a mid nineties, whereas Dolander's up into the upper nineties. And like all of the stuff is just a, uh, maybe a tick behind, but he's pitching so much better. Uh, so it's a, it's a challenging thing. I don't, I, part of me kind of feels like Dolander is on the verge of falling out of the top 10. Like we keep mocking him into the top 10 and our draft writers know a lot more about that stuff than me, but I, I just look at Dolander and the, tra the, the trajectory he's on in terms of performance and what's happened to pitchers like that in recent years. And I, I just can't keep, I can't get it out of my head that like, is he actually going to go in the top 10, but he has the raw stuff, the raw materials that looks like a top 10 pitcher. So it's, it's still entirely possible that that happens. Well, and I want to take a little deeper dive here. Are there any guys maybe that we should keep an eye on for the Nationals, maybe as a second-round pick that we could see over the weekend? Are there some guys that you really like that they could take at pick number 40? Because we've focused on these top three guys, but are there other guys maybe we could keep an eye out for? Well, I mean, this weekend, especially if you're if you're watching Virginia, Jake Geloff, uh, their third baseman, had an incredible season. He's got some real power. Uh, so I, I think he's a guy that maybe could be in that range. Brandon Sprout at Florida is their number one uh, starter, not their best prospect as a pitcher, but he uh, he is quite good and, um, you know, maybe goes in that range. And then a wild card. I don't know how Texas is going to use him this weekend. He's been starting. His start in regionals wasn't amazing as he works back from Tommy John surgery, but that's Tanner Witt out at Texas. Uh, he had first round stuff, has first round stuff, uh, just you know, he had to have Tommy John surgery uh, and is is still working his way back. He didn't even debut until I, I think it was the start of May. So he, he's definitely still in the uh, just the, the, the mode of, of getting back to, to 100 percent. But that, you know, given what the Nationals have done in the past, like I, I think that's a guy that maybe could be on their radar. Yeah, it'd be interesting, right? I mean, we saw Kate Horton last year, like skyrocket around this time where he came back, he got healthy, shoved, and the Cubs took him in the top 10. Tanner Witt's not going to have that kind of rise because he's not as far along and he's not going to be you know, just coming out of nowhere. But to your point, um, getting healthy and pitching again, he's going to help his stock a whole lot. So we'll let you go on this then for, for again, kind of from a Nats perspective, for people that want to watch LSU and Florida and Cruz and Skeens and Langford, I'm just curious like what the schedule looks like Friday and, and beyond 
uh, for those kind of non-college baseball fans that are going to moonlight as college marks this weekend. Yeah, so on Friday, they get started with uh, with, with four uh, of the eight Super Regionals, and then uh, they flip, uh, or the, the next four get started on Saturday. So the, the ones that, that start on Friday run Friday through, uh, through Sunday. The other ones run Saturday through Monday. Uh, UVA is starting the whole thing off at noon on Friday. Uh, LSU gets going on Saturday. Uh, as does Wake Forest against Alabama. Wake Forest, the number one uh, overall seed in this thing. So uh, plenty of college baseball on the TV this weekend. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, definitely the the busiest days of the the Super Regional round. Can't wait. Going to be great. Well, Teddy, information's awesome, man. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you jumping on with us. Yeah, thanks, Teddy. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Teddy Cahill, go check him out at BaseballAmerica.com. It's very rare. Toby, that this many of the elite college prospects as far as the draft are left in the Super Regionals. So as you're listening to this pod, if you're a Nats fan, I mean, it's a great chance to do some of your own homework and just put eyes on these guys uh, as you get closer to the draft. It's it's a rarity. I want to say last year we had like two of the projected top 10 to 15 picks in the draft still left at this point. And this year we've got eight guys who could go in the top 15 or 17 or so that are still playing, which is awesome. Well, and the beauty of it too, two of the guys are on the same team. So you just got to make sure you watch LSU and Florida. Those are your those are your assignments. Go watch those guys. Yeah, and for the Nats, I mean, it, this is not to say that they unequivocally will not draft one of the high schoolers, Walker Jenkins, the outfielder from North Carolina, Max Clark, the outfielder from Indiana, the two best high school players in the country. But I believe that they've narrowed this thing down, presumably, to the LSU players. I, I just have to imagine that crews and skeins and they take whoever the pirates don't. I just think Langford should be in the conversation. I've had people ask me a couple different times over the course of the season on Twitter. Hey, who would you rather take? Like, let's say they take Cruz, it's skeins or it's Langford. Who are you taking? And I, at least several weeks ago had gone Langford most recently when I was asked that question, just because it's, it's bat over arm for me, but skeins is just so special and so dominant and so unique. He's going to be in the big league so fast. I think he could be Verlander, right? I mean, he could be an ace. Yeah, arms break, and he, he's going to miss a year with Tommy John at some point. And if it's on you know, your organization in his first several years, it, it might push back his debut, or, or it might hurt. You know, It might, might be his second season when you're ready to start performing. Like Those types of things are realities, but I think when he pitches, he could be so good that with Skeens as a one, Gore as a two, I'm just going to say now with what they've got, like Gray is a three and then some version of Cavalli or Henry and uh, take your pick of their other arms, you know, Rutledge and some of the guys coming Irvin or, or uh, Parker, you know, and, and, and they can spend like eventually they're going to be back in the mode of bringing pitching in too. So you're probably going to need three, maybe at most four in-house arms. You're going to want one or two veteran free agents well, Skeens is locked in as a guy. The day you draft him, you feel like you just added a bona fide frontline starter. Well, and you wonder if the Nationals almost feel like they uh, they haven't taken a first-round pitcher in a while, even though it hasn't been necessarily the longest. But, I mean, they used to always take first-round pitchers, and this team, when it's been at its best, has been built through starting pitching. And if you have a guy like Skeens that can be a Verlander, you've heard him compared to Strasburg coming out, I mean – it's hard not to take a guy like that. Would it be nice to add some power in a corner outfield bat? Absolutely. But 
at the same point, you've got guys in the outfield. Like if you were just to say, if all your guys hit right now, you'd have the outfield covered with Hassel, Wood, and Green. And so you're just adding another one to that mix right now. If you look outside of Cavalli, maybe Henry, like Rutledge, some of these guys don't project to be frontline starters, and you would have the opportunity to get a frontline starter in Paul Skeens. 